Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Hey, Sam. How are you today? All right, Don. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm just sitting over here recovering as hard as I possibly can. You know, it looks like you're just kind of kicked back taking it easy there. Well, that's what, you know, it's like uh, I'm, I'm wearing life. Like a loose garment? I'm kind of wearing it more like a loose goose. I'm thinking more like a <laughs> moo-moo. I'm wearing life like a moo-moo. <laughs> we have a guest. We do have a guest. He's, Hi, guest. He's Hi. fully dressed. He's not wearing a moo-moo. <laughs> Hi, Jimmy. Welcome. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you. Thank you. So uh, what's been going on in your recovery in the past day? You have a good day? I have had a good day. I've uh, actually been uh, able to uh, connect with a brand new sponsee. Oh, sweet. And um, we were supposed to get together, but got our schedules crossed. So we did a phone session and um, chatted a little bit and set up our uh, schedule for the upcoming week. And um, yeah, it's a beautiful day here. And uh, That's exciting. Yeah. A new sponsee. Yeah, new I got sponsee. two all of a sudden. All of a sudden, yeah. I was in a dry. I was in a dry spell. Yeah, and then uh, all of a sudden, I got two new ones. So sponsees keep you on your game. Absolutely, they make <laughs> you up your game. Absolutely, yeah. They'll make Absolutely. You up your game. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Jimmy, when'd you get sober? Um, <laughs> which time? Uh, I <laughs> the got last sober time. the last time in two thousand and eight. Two thousand and eight. Mm -hmm. And what is it that? brought you to AA. How did you first come to AA? It sounds like you were in and out maybe a few times. Well, I was in and in, and then I was out, and then I was back in. So um, I was in 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 and in. And I, I was in and that? stayed in, and then I went out. Uh-huh. Um, so there's... So there's, twice. Yeah. Um, 1997 was when I got sober the first time. And uh, I was, I'm terrible at numbers, so I was like 20, 28, something like that. I was like 28 years old. And, um, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired, drinking all the time, still functioning pretty well. Um, you know, still could work and, and uh -huh. maintain and, you know, live life somewhat normally, but drinking all the time, all the time. Lots of vodka, lots of beer. Um, tequila, you name it, you name it, um, and just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, got to where I was throwing up all the time, throwing up, sometimes throwing up blood, you know. So Really um, sick. Really sick. Looked okay, uh -huh. and up to the outside world still appeared okay. Uh -huh. That's really important. Not. That's really important to us. Yeah, to the outside world, except for, I mean, you know, there was a, there was a select few people that knew how sick I was. Uh-huh. The rest of the world didn't know, and it didn't really show. Um, so I um, went to a meeting. I was living in South Florida at the time, and I got into a relationship with someone who was in the program. And that sort of became a mirror for me um, to take a look at my own situation. And um, he was doing really well in recovery, and so I... Uh, Joined him in a meeting and picked up a start chip that night 
and um, kind of never looked back from there. So it's kind of by example. By example. That's how by, you heard about it. Well, the, yeah, and my father had uh, been in the rooms. Oh. So um, I was familiar with AA. Uh-huh. Uh, my father had gotten sober through AA, and um, so I knew that, that sobriety was a thing. I knew that recovery was a thing. I just didn't mm -hmm. really know how to do it. Um, Did you know that alcoholism was a thing? Yes, but I underestimated it. Ooh. Did you... How did you come to see your own drinking? I mean, how did you justify your own drinking as I don't have a problem for all the time until you finally said, well, maybe I do have a problem? Well, the truth is, is that for the last probably five years, I knew I had a problem and mm -hmm. didn't care, didn't want to address it. Right. My attitude was, yes, I'm an alcoholic, so make it a double. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. my attitude was, absolutely, I'm an alcoholic. I don't have a drinking problem except when I can't get a drink, Tom right. Waits saying. Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I made no, I didn't try to hide my drinking from people. I didn't try to, um, I mean, you know, I was drinking, I was waiting tables there towards the end. And, um, you know, I'd fill one of those great big, huge, um, like beer stein glasses uh -huh. or, you know, pint glasses with vodka and ice and and I would drink four or five or six of those in, on a shift. Staying and hydrated, just stay, right? Yeah, and just be, but that was the way I drank. That's the way uh -huh. I always drank. That's the way I drank from the very beginning. When I first started drinking at 15, I was, I, I could out drink anybody. So when you, when, with the drinking for you, what was it about? Why did you drink? Is it, was it a, this makes me feel like I think everybody else is? or It made me feel comfortable in my own skin. It, um, when I first started drinking, it made me feel like I fit in. I had no fear. I didn't fear anybody else. Um, when I started drinking in high school, I became the cool kid. Okay. Um, I was a little bit older than everybody in my high school because of the way my birthday fell. Mm -hmm. And so I got my driver's license first and I got my fake ID first. And I always had beer in the trunk of my car okay. and I became popular with people that, um, prior had, either paid me no attention or bullied me. Mm. You know, I had been bullied really badly in junior high and early high school. And once I started to drink and do some other outside substances, mm. that changed. And boom, I was really popular. Funny how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I love the way it made me feel. And oh, I loved yeah. it. I loved, loved, loved it. I would say alcohol is probably my greatest love. Yeah. I, I understand that. <laughs> I mean, it was a romance. It was a relationship. It was always there. Yeah. I Actually, I had trouble with higher power when I came into AA. What mm. is a higher power? And when someone explained it to me, that alcohol was my higher power because it was everything to me. Mm -hmm. I gave it everything. I gave mm. it my... I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't be in a relationship without being drunk. I used to get mm -hmm. drunk before going out to drink. Sure, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Plus, it's I, cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> I had a girlfriend one time <laughs> yeah. say, say to me, um, "Can you go like one day without drink? Why do you want to get drunk every day at three o'clock?" And I was going, "I need a new girlfriend." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Why are you not drunk? Is <laughs> yeah, my question. Right. Why isn't everyone like it's this? The thing to do. So yeah, and then also my creativity. I gave it. I gave all my creativity to alcohol. Because mm -hmm. I felt like when I quit drinking, 
I'm never going to be able to do any anything creative again. Yeah. It's just going to be one long gray day. So, well, and I went into show business. I was in you know involved in theater, and that's what I went to school for. And so the culture that I was living in, I moved to New York and uh, went to college in New York and um, became an actor. And the culture I was living in was was you know it was acceptable to that's what you did after a show after auditions you went and you drank. And, um, so, you know, and, and interestingly, you know, one of the main reasons I chose New York city, and this is at 18 years old, one of the main reasons I chose New York, aside from, you know, that's where show business was, was that I knew that I wouldn't have to drive. Uh, <laughs> and I actually got a DUI at 18, right after I graduated high school, I got a DUI that summer. And so when I was picking colleges, I knew that if I chose a college in New York city, that I wouldn't have to drive. Yeah. So even at 18 very years old, practical. at 18 years old, I'm like, you know, managing I'm, your drinking, I'm managing my drinking, it's knowing driving. that I won't have to deal with a car. Yeah. Um, driving our decisions. Yeah. Big time. Mm -hmm. So when you quit drinking, what about, I'm interested about the creativity yeah. angle of it. So when you, when you quit drinking, mm -hmm. were you, did you lose your, your creative spark or? Um, were you afraid you were going to lose your creative spark or how, how did those two relate at all? You know, it's really, that's a very hard question for me to answer. I didn't lose my creative spark. Um, what happened when I quit drinking the first time and I stayed sober, I didn't have a drink for 10 years, uh, mm -hmm. during that first period of sobriety. Um, and I continued to pursue theater for 10 years you didn't have a drink mm -hmm. you, that's a long time mm -hmm. wow and that was in the program that wasn't just right. white knuckling it right well mostly in the program then i didn't then i then i got away from the program which is why i ended up drinking again ah. um so yeah um but but to answer that first question yeah. i didn't lose my creativity but what i started having trouble with was um anxiety really bad stage fright really bad anxiety Mm -hmm. um, didn't really know how to cope with it. Um, and so I continued working in theater all through that, that period, but my anxiety started getting really, really bad about six years into my sobriety. And, um, I wasn't really managing it very well. And then my father passed away. And, um, so I really was not managing it very well. And, um, I was having really significant um, issues with um, panic attacks and not being able to really. So I um, went to a doctor and was prescribed an outside substance, which was probably not the best solution for me. Mm -hmm. um, and also at that point, I felt that I had the alcoholism. And this is when I said earlier that I had underestimated mm -hmm. alcoholism mm -hmm. because I never craved alcohol. I, quit, I hadn't drank in years. So I, uh, after about five or six years of meetings and working the program, um, I made a decision to stop going to meetings because they just, I just didn't feel like they were working for me. The anxiety was so much and I had to deal with that as an issue and went to the doctor and got some meds and that kind of helped. And so all of a sudden I didn't really need, didn't feel like I needed to you, be in. You AA. didn't need uh, the program because you were. That is correct. Wait, you didn't need the program because you had anxiety? No, I didn't need the program because I didn't ever think about drinking anymore. So oh, you, you were cured of alcoholism. I was cured of alcoholism. 
And am I am I right in inferring that going to meetings was actually becoming painful because of the anxiety? That was part of it. And um, I became overwhelmed when my father died, and I got mm -hmm. to this place where I was like, you people don't understand. I do not have time for AA. I do not have time. I am managing this. I am doing the best I can to manage this anxiety. I'm doing the best I can to deal with my father's death and my family. I'm doing the best I can to make a living and do what I need to do. I don't think about drinking. I don't want to drink. I'm cured. I don't, I don't need that anymore. Now if I could just figure out this anxiety thing, which I did with medication. Uh, yeah. So um, you you did right medication. You I didn't need. latch on to alcohol is but a symptom, <laughs> because you had Correct. felt like that since you weren't drinking, you had that taken care of, and now you had to deal with your life. Well, and you know I have to you know I have to be honest. Part of my story involves these outside substances, uh -huh. oh, and yeah. that's what led me back. That is exactly what led me out. So it was um, the prescription started it? Was it? A, it, was an, it was a benzo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got uh, prescribed by the doctor. Um, can I say what oh, it was? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, this is a okay. meeting. Of yeah, I, I was prescribed clonopin by a doctor for my anxiety. And just like my reaction to alcohol when I first tried it, which was, ah, this is the most amazing thing ever. I had the same reaction when I took the clonopin. Oh my God! Why this? Why isn't everybody taking these things? Me thinks be, he uh, likes it too well. There, That's giving me chills, Jimmy. I get it. There should be, you know, candy dishes of this stuff in every <laughs> desk in the world. So, um, so all of a sudden, I didn't need AA. I didn't need anything because I had this clonopin, and um, you had a solution. I had a solution. So I didn't. So I quit going to me. So the last. Three years of, and, and this is where it gets kind of dicey because, you know, was I sober? Was I not sober? Mm -hmm. I will say I was alcohol free. Mm -hmm. I wasn't drinking, but I was taking the Klonopin. Um, And then, uh, so I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have uh, meetings. I didn't have any support network. And um, little by little, my thinking started to slip back. I started dabbling with some other, some, you know, smoked pot a couple of times. All the while thinking, this isn't alcohol, and alcohol was my problem. Mm -hmm. Alcohol was my problem. So a little weed, a little Klonopin, that's all right. Um, got a cold, started uh, taking some Robitussin for it, realized that Robitussin and Klonopin went really well together. <laughs> started drinking Robitussin, and again, y'all, again, my alcoholic mind is saying, that's not alcohol. There's no alcohol in Robitussin, so I can take that. It's a kind of a cocktail, though, I think, those two together. Yeah, but not alcohol. Not alcohol. And if you're, yeah. you're t twisted thinking, and I didn't have, yeah. again... It's medicine. Yeah, and I didn't Daddy have... Daddy needs his medicine. I didn't have <laughs> any recovery around me. Yeah. You know, I didn't have you any recovery off. around me. Uh -huh. um, so, long story short, that continued for um, a couple of years before I actually went on a business trip. And uh, I was in Dallas and um, had been to this uh, place a bunch of times with the same people. They knew I didn't drink. And we were at uh, dinner, and I reached across the table one night and just out of the blue, without planning it, just said, fuck it, I am so sick and tired of being good. I haven't had a drink in 10 fucking years. I am going to pull one tonight. And when I get back to Greensboro, I will pick up a chip, I will start over, I will tell everybody what's happened, I will get honest, and Ooh. I will start back.
but I, but tonight I'm really pulling out all the stops. I knew I wasn't gonna have one or two. You know, I knew I was gonna. It's on, it. and you deserved it. I deserved it, damn it. And so I did. I pulled out all the stops that night, and I just got trashed, and um, ended up naked in the pool with a bunch of strangers. You know, me and alcohol and naked always went together <laughs> on a business uh, trip. On a business trip. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three in the morning. I swear I thought everybody else was naked, but apparently it was just me. <laughs> um, I, I don't have any experience with that at all, Jimmy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, you know, the next day I woke up just horrified, humiliated. Oh, yeah. Had to knock back, I don't know, three or four Bloody Marys before I even went into work. Um, I remember halfway through that day, we were working at the World Trade Center in Dallas, and there was no alcohol around, but there was a um, little commissary, and they sold Listerine. So I went down there and got a couple bottles of Listerine and drank that to get me through the rest of that day. Wow. Drank on the plane, drank coming home, came home. Are you planning to go back? Yes, went to a meeting, picked up a start chip, got a sponsor. Good plan. And could not stop mm -hmm. for a year. Got the really craving, didn't it? got really messy. I was mixing, I mean, at this point, it was not only the alcohol, but it was the Klonopin, which I was still taking. Um, and um, so the combination of the, of the prescription pills and the alcohol really just, the way I describe it is when I, when I quit drinking the first time, there was still a little bit of an on-off switch. Like I could, if I had to turn it off for a night or two, I could. Mm -hmm. On off switch, right? You could say no for a short for period a minute, of time. Yeah. For a minute or two. When I relapsed, it was as someone had reached in and pulled that whole fuse box out of the wall. There was no on off switch. It was nothing but wires. And, wow. And so for a year, I tried, I would put together a week, I would put together a couple of days, I'd put together two weeks, I was going to meetings, I got a sponsor. But I was still using the pills and, um, and you know, drinking. I, I can't really describe it other than to say the relapse was worse than anything I'd ever experienced in the, the, the first parts of my drinking. You just walked into this river. Yep. Yep. I'm uh, curious, on the clonopin, mm -hmm. did you take your meds as, as prescribed? Or did you start taking more? More or less. More or less you took them as prescribed. Yes, more or gotcha. less as prescribed. And I will say that, you know, I, occasionally I would take one extra if I wanted to sleep or couldn't sleep or something. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I mean, I, was, I wasn't I was snorting them. I wasn't eating them by the handfuls. Eating them by the handfuls, no. Yeah. I'm, so mm -hmm. I ask that because I'm a, I'm a fellow retread and uh, having started over at almost nine years. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I never took a drink. Um, I took uh, meds. I, I got on diet pills, mm -hmm. and I took them as they were. They weren't even prescription, but I, I did that, and I got on poppers, and, and it was just that thing that th it's not alcohol, and I never have drank since 2003, but mm -hmm. I was taking these things in a manner that was not okay for me. Mm -hmm. When I looked back on it, my use of these things did not work, and mine got arrested before I picked up a drink. Mm -hmm. That was coming, I'm convinced. Mm -hmm. But mine got arrested and I started over before I picked up the drink. Mm -hmm. 
it's it was that goody two shoes nature in my head of, but I'm doing it the way I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not eat, Nobody told me I could eat them by the handful. I never did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so I'm hearing the similar thing that you know you were following doctor's orders. You were doing what you were supposed to do. Right. When it came to manage it, taking these medications, mm-hmm. and it still became a problem in adding more to it. Right. And during that year, you know, one of the things that I've I've really looked back on why I was not able to stop for that year. I, you know, the, the, the thing I did that, that probably saved my life was I kept coming back. You know, I kept coming back and, and nobody in the rooms ever shamed me, ever blamed me. People welcomed me back throughout that whole year. I picked up 23 start chips. Wow. Um, I would pick up a start chip. I would pick up a chip and I would drink that night. Or I would go do some shots and then go to a meeting and pick well, up a chip. Well, so why were you not defeated by the, by that to say that and you you had said before that you didn't need AA, it didn't work. Why did you keep coming back in the face of not being able to quit? And it would seem to me, I've heard people say this, I, I've never relapsed in the program, though I certainly did tons of relapsing before I came to AA trying to control my drinking and mm-hmm. being, un- being unsuccessful. So I've heard that uh, the first time in the steps and all are, it's a beautiful thing. You learn all this information and you give your will over to God and you get sober and it all works. And then the second time through, you've heard all this stuff before. And it would seem like it's like, what? so why did you keep coming back? Um, that's a really good question. Why did I keep coming back? Well, I think part of me knew that AA worked. I think part of me knew that that's where the solution was. And I, again, I was in my, in my marriage, my partner, my husband is, is in recovery Mm -hmm. and sober. And we had, you know, I was able to see recovery working in other people's lives and I just didn't want to die. So I wasn't ready to just throw in the towel completely. And I guess I just didn't know what else to do other than keep trying to come to meetings. Now, I had a sponsor, and she wouldn't work steps with me during that period because I was drunk. Uh-huh. So she was like, you got to put some time. you got to get 30 days before I can kind of work right. with you on steps. got to be sober. Got to be sober. And, you know, and really what I needed and what I needed early on, which is what I, I waited, was I needed to go to treatment. I needed to get out of, I needed to be sort of locked up and away from the... Pulled out of your life for a period of time. I needed to be pulled out of my life for a period of time. Um, you know, I was having a lot of accidents during that year. I was falling. I was doctor shopping. I was going to urgent care and getting other prescription pills. I was getting Vicodin and Oxy. So now I'm mixing all of that stuff together. Um, you were a hot mess. I was a really, really hot mess. Got to where I was in an effort to not drink and not use. I gave my husband my uh, all my money, my credit cards, my driver's license so I couldn't drive. And then I started stealing rubbing alcohol from neighbors. And so the last... That sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it's harsh, y'all. It's like harsh. Mix it with crystal light or something. No, Mm-mm. no. Wow. 
Um, no, so I, uh, you know, was, was the last couple of weeks of my drinking was me drinking um, rubbing alcohol. Because you didn't have money? Yeah. Why not just get some Because I lost beer? my mind. I lost uh, my mind. I can't describe it. Mm -hmm. I can't describe it. Yeah, I could have gone down to the store and probably and bought booze. I, I'm sure I could have. I could have stolen it if I'd had to. But for some reason, I just was so, the, the rubbing alcohol was right there. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I can't really describe it other than to say that I just went batshit. I mean, I'm batshit crazy. And I'll tell you what got me into what, and people have been saying, I think you need treatment. My sponsor, people in the program were saying, I think you need to go to treatment. This, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. You need to go somewhere and dry out. And then, you know, we got to get your brain back. And so uh, I was, uh, and I was resistant. I was like, no, I can do it. I can do it. I was very willful. I was like, I've done this once. I can do it again. I know how to do it. Um, I'm not listening. I'm you not didn't want to get sober somebody else's way. Right. Yet. No. Uh-uh. I got this. No, I got this. I know how to do it. I'm just one of those silver chips and it's magic and then I'll be sober and it couldn't do it. Wow. So I finally started having, I ran out of rubbing alcohol one day and the thought came into my mind that I had to take a gas in the garage and I thought, God, I wonder how, I wonder how sick it would make me if I drank that gas. And then the very next thought I had, and this is what I refer to as my moment of clarity, the very next thought I had was, you need serious help. You need medical attention. Something is really, really, really wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so I made the phone call, and um, I was with, I was in treatment within like two days. Mm -hmm. So that's when you surrendered, really. That is when I surrendered. That is when I surrendered. And you know, even that first week, I was still calling some shots. I remember bitching about my room being too hot and bitching because they wouldn't let me off of um, the medical, what do they call it, when you're detoxing, you got to get medical clearance before you can like go out and walk around and stuff. Gotcha. And because I was so sick, they wouldn't let me off medical clearance. Mm -hmm. And on day four, I had a grand mal seizure in treatment. And that was the day that I fully surrendered. That was the day that I said, all right, I give. Whatever you say, I'll do. You tell me to jump, I'll say how high. You tell me I'm not medically cleared, fine. I'll sit in this room. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And, you know, for this stubborn alcoholic, this this that is what it took. It took me... Wow, that's right to the edge. It took me literally dying for a second for me to give it up. Yeah, Because <clears throat> I've heard... And, and it doesn't it, have to be that way, by the way. Right. That's, <laughs> yeah, really. that's what let I was going to say. Let me reiterate that it doesn't have to be that way. One of the reasons we share our stories is so that you may not have to go down as far as we have. You right. don't have. And that's what I was going to say. It's an elevator. You know, it's an elevator on the way down, and you can get off on any floor. You don't necessarily have to go all the way to the bottom that's like correct. you did. Because but the, you have to take the steps back up. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that has always um, stood out to me, it's telling of the AA community for me. And I remember you've shared at other times that during that year in particular, when you really didn't know up from down, but you were going to meetings, 
that you found yourself going to a women's meeting and you didn't know. That's that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and they let me in. And they just did, they, did they, they, did they, they looked about it. I mean, did they yeah. look like men? No, <laughs> no, and it was a meeting. You weren't that, seeing things. You just went to. No, went to I, and I didn't know it was a women's meeting. Yeah. It was um, it was a meeting that meets every day, and then and like there's one day that it's. The one day in particular, it happens to be just women. It's open. It's it's others on on other days. Gotcha. And I, it was a the time, and I, I it was a ten thirty meeting or ten o'clock in the morning. And so yeah, I showed up. I did. I did that. I, I showed went, up I went to and, a women's meeting. I had no idea it was a women's meeting. Yeah, and I think that I kind of remember them saying, you know, did you know this is a women's meeting? And I was like, no. And and they were like, well, that's okay, you know. And, and I they could up, tell you needed. They a could meeting. tell I needed. And that's a what meeting. happened to me. They could tell I needed. Yeah, a meeting. you know, and that was what when I look back on that year, you know, like I said, not nobody ever. Everybody just tried to help, and 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 not even in a pushy way, not even in a like, oh, you really need to get this thing, man. You're gonna. Nobody did that. People just welcomed me. You know, people would ask how I was doing. People would ask if I needed anything. And nobody ever made me feel bad for coming in drunk. And nobody ever, you know, I remember calling. I got was getting numbers, and I was trying to call people because my sponsor told me to call people. So I was mm -hmm. calling people drunk, mm -hmm. you know, calling people drunk that were sober, you know, and had a lot of time. And not one of those people were ugly or rude or talked down to me or, you know, and that – is something I'll never forget, and that's one of the things that I've tried to carry forward when I see, when I get a call from someone at 2 o'clock in the morning who's wasted, right. and, and, you know, it can be, you know, really irritating. Just a little. You yeah. know, and but I've tried to really carry that 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 compassion into my, my own recovery, because that's really what I got from AA, was a soft place to land over and over and over and over and over again. But it was always a soft place to land, and it was always filled with people that, that truly cared for me. You know, the other thing I want to say and, and is that one of the things that I struggled with, and I think one of the things that kept me out for so long, is that when I relapsed, when I took, when I had that first night of drinking, I was, I was really unable to forgive myself for that. And I think that it had a lot to do with my own ego. But I had this idea that, man, you had 10 years and then you threw it all away. And, and instead of just, you know, I don't want to make light of a relapse, but sometimes relapse happens and sometimes slips happen. And so, you know, I was, instead of being like, you know, okay, this happened and I'm going to forgive myself and work to move forward, I just replayed it, and I beat myself up over and over and over and over. You stupid, idiotic piece of shit. How could you have let this happen? And that's the message that I held on to for that whole year. Instead of getting, you know, instead of being able to say, look, it happened, and it happened because I'm sick. It happened because I'm an alcoholic. Right. That's why it happened. Right. It's and not that you're bad. Not it's that, that I'm sick. bad. Not that I'm stupid. And, and I, I, you know, I think that that just repetitive self-loathing is one of the things that I was unable to get past during that first year, that repetitive, just beating myself up 
for yeah. what could have been just a you know a little mistake, and then you pick back up. Right, but that's but part of that's part of alcohol. What an alcoholic is is that that shame and judgment. I felt like when I first came to AA. In fact, uh, I went to a a noon meeting that was a discussion meeting, and I was in my first week, mm -hmm. and. They said, we need a topic, and everybody sat there in silence, and I'm like going, oh, well, maybe I'll... So I said, how do you deal with the shame of being an alcoholic? And the whole room burst into laughter, <laughs> and I'm like going, this is a strange group of people. Uh, one guy said to me that it is the, uh, what alcoholism is, is the feeling that I should be able to control this. I should be able to control it. And the fact that I can't control it, that's what makes me an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. That very failure there is what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. a characteristic that's really common with us, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely hearing it between me and Jimmy in, in the relapse, and that is I beat myself up so much when I started over. When I realized I have screwed up here Interesting. and I need to start over, it was a lot of shame. A lot of self-loathing. I mean, so much. And nobody so. else was beating you up. No, you. no. Yeah. And it's nothing that I would ever do to someone else who has relapsed. Right. But right. damn, if I well, didn't I do it to me, I would think I haven't relapsed. But you I've should try it. Thought, I don't think I will. <laughs> and that's why I like talking to the two of you because I can learn from example. I've yeah. had the thought, well, I could get drunk and pick up another chip. But I mean, that's a terrifying story. That well, I I could get drunk and I could uh, just Monday I'll go pick up a chip. And, the, and this, and, and really my, what I said earlier about underestimating the power of alcoholism, mm -hmm. you know, like I said earlier, I knew that alcohol, for me, alcoholism meant, yeah, you drink a lot, so, you know, alcohol is off limits, but if you're going to drink, light them up, you know, that's, that was my idea of alcoholism. It wasn't until I got in, I mean, until I got into treatment, really, is where they were like, well, and you also know that all of these other substances that you're putting in your body are from here on out are off limits too, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, it took, that's how naive I was, mm -hmm. you know, that that's what I mean about underestimating alcoholism is it for me, for this alcoholic is it's not just alcohol. Right. I cannot put any mood or mind altering substance in my body because Alcohol is my greatest love. That's what I'll ultimately go back to. But anything else is going to lead me in that direction. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really will. And I proved it to myself. You know, something that I heard, and I'm going to mess it up trying to, to say it, but it's to the effect of that um, alcohol is to addiction as squash is to vegetable. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, it's still addiction. Right, right. Alcoholism right. is addiction. Right. And my disease is addiction. I have naturally wired for addiction. Yeah. And especially when I find that certain things, certain substances, make me feel better, mm -hmm. therefore they're a solution. Mm -hmm. There's a thinking that's built in there as well. Mm -hmm. Take something to change the way I feel so I don't have to deal with my feelings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, don't want to, I don't want to feel this way. I need to change it. Mm -hmm. Let me have some more of this. <laughs> and then throw on top of it what you know is described as the, the allergy within the Alcoholics Anonymous book. You know, I definitely believe that I have an allergy to alcohol, that mm -hmm. when I put it in my body, my body processes it differently, 
And that phenomenon of craving does kick in that demands more alcohol. Mm -hmm. When I put alcohol in me, I am going to put more alcohol in me. And it's not necessarily because I want to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could do the same thing with caramel popcorn. <laughs> yeah. All, it doesn't change the way I feel quite as much as these other things. Jimmy, this has been great. What a powerful story. Thank Thanks you. for Thanks. sharing. I'm sorry it was such us. a drunk log. I, you know. Well, I you know, I don't that doesn't bother me. That's what I, I I like to hear what the journey is. Why in the world would somebody come to AA and do these things? You know, I've always been really impressed by Al Anon, people in Al Anon who do the twelve steps, mm -hmm. do all that it asks, all the surrender and mm -hmm. self examination. Mm -hmm inventory sharing my deepest darkest secrets with another person and it's not life or death for them in right. that it's that, like it is with an alcoholic but i really i, I do think it is important to, you, you mentioned the drunk log that um that's been a while ago you've got some time yeah, under your eight belt years now. eight years so eight years yeah. back that you've been eight doing now. all of this it's fantastic and helping people and sponsoring and got two new sponsees. Well, you know, I learned in that first period of recovery or sobriety or abstinence, I guess, um, what not to do. And, and you know, when I came in, when I got sober this time, I knew that I had And what to, is it? Um, don't uh, decide not to go to meetings after five or six years. Don't not get a sponsor. Don't not sponsor people. Don't not, you know, I had to do everything the opposite this time. Uh -huh. And, you know, one of the other things I never did that first time is I never sponsored people. I was, that was always something I was never going to do. I was like, I'll do all these other things. I am not sponsoring anybody. Uh, I just don't have the time for that nonsense. So coming around this time, I, I jumped into the middle of the program. I didn't stay on the edges. I sat in the front row of every meeting I went to. I did two and three meetings a day for the first nine months. I did my full treatment plus outpatient plus other clinical services and recovery. I did two and three AA meetings a day. I got a sponsor. I worked steps. As soon as I got to my 12th step, I got a sponsee. I've, I've had sponsees since then. I've done service work. I've jumped into the middle of the program. And instead of making recovery or, you know, the program, a slice of my life, a slice of the pie, the recovery is the whole pie. And then I add, build my life around that pie. But I gotta have recovery as a whole piece. I can't, this alcoholic, and I'm not talking for anybody else, because I used to compare myself, and I've seen people that do a lot less than I do, and they stay sober there and fine. There are people, and there are people who can not drink and That's not right. do any of this stuff. That is absolutely right, and I'm not one of them. I'm not one of those people that can go to one meeting a month. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those people. I'm, I'm one of those people that has to stay connected on a daily basis yep, or I'm going to lose my shit. Jimmy, thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. Look out. Here comes that owl. Oh, again. <laughs> that owl. That owl comes in. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for our old timers question from the listener. Who are you calling an old timer? Uh, it's still one day at a time, but that's what happens if you stay sober long enough. Now listen up. All right, so Robinson from Albemarle, North Carolina, asks, Am I being subjected to nothing but meetings and step work for the rest of my life? 
I think uh, I think Robinson might be a newcomer. <laughs> what do you think? That sounds kind of uh, that's not attractive. Sounds is foreboding. It? Yeah, it does. That dry. It was, but you know, it's not the rest of. You know, I felt like that way, and I would just use like the Baptist expression for the rest of my days. <laughs> <laughs> That needs an echo, too. <laughs> the rest of my days, 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 <laughs> But I don't have to do this for the rest of my life. I have to do it today is what I had to do. Keep turning my thinking back to, okay, it's just for today. I'm going to do what I need to do today to stay sober. I'm not going to drink today. Slowly but surely, it ends up being the rest of my life. Hopefully, because... Uh, <laughs> Ultimately, in time, it, I began to see all these things like, I, boy, I didn't like the idea of having to listen to the steps every single time before a meeting. It's like, do we, I mean, we've got this now. We'd have to hear this again. And at one point, I heard. And now yeah. you're part of a home group that doesn't do that. Yeah, it's, that that's true. But you know what it is, is. I, I changed my thinking around with it that, that something happens in an AA meeting, and part of it is the opening remarks, the the reading of the steps, the reading of the preamble, whatever they may be for that meeting. That is part of the of what sets this time period. This one hour is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and mm -hmm. people share differently. They talk to each other differently during the meeting, and part of it is having that opening. It's a ritual. It's, mm -hmm. to read it's the a steps. ritual. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a period to to kind of slide into, ease into the meeting, so to speak. It takes you down from that what's going on outside of the meeting, and you step down yeah. into some peace and serenity during the meeting. One person talks at a time. People are going to share personal experience on a on a spiritual level. It's a it's 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 a different time. But do you have to do it the rest time. of your life? And so the whole thing is changing my thinking about that. Yeah, I love that. You know, I wrote down so many of these cliches whenever I first came into the rooms. I carried a little notebook with me because I'm never going to hear that gem again. Yeah. Let me write that one down. Little did you know. Yeah, truly. And it's like, <laughs> how long do I have to go to AA? You go until you want to go. And I want to go. I mean, going to these meetings is part of my life now. This is, mm. this is something that I do because I really feel off when mm -hmm. I don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I feel a whole lot better when I do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, I, and it's not that I'm afraid that I'm going to have a drink today if I don't go to a meeting. I don't go to a meeting every day. I'll go, I'll go to typically three or four meetings a week. Mm -hmm. But I know that if I get into, as you were telling us, Jimmy, when you decided I don't, I'm not going anymore, if I get into that place where I'm just like, I'm done, that stinking thinking's coming back. I am mm -hmm. gonna do something that's gonna lead me back to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. It's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. I know that. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing kicks in too. So I got all butt hurt this weekend because <laughs> I wanted a new car. Oh. And I drove it and I loved it and I started looking at the numbers. You said wanted. Last time I talked to you, you were still wanting a new car. Thank you. See? And. The numbers didn't work, and so I called on the help of friends that I've made in this program. I've talked with my sponsor. I prayed about it, and I called a, a sponsee brother. 
Um, and, and I talked about this stuff. And yesterday, I was still a little pissy bitch about it because my feelings were hurt and I didn't get what I wanted. And I guarantee you that if I had been, let's say, a month without meetings, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd have picked up a drink, but I sure as hell might have thought about it. I guarantee you if I'd been a year without meetings, I would have gotten drunk over something like that mm-hmm. because I didn't get what I wanted. And I don't like the way that feels. So I'm going to change the way I feel. Mm-hmm. And, and instead, I reached out to friends that I have in this program. I went to two meetings yesterday, which I typically go to two meetings on Saturdays. But I, I did the things that I've learned in these rooms that helps me get through not liking the way I feel so well, that I move through it without changing it with outside substances. And helping you to make good decisions. Yeah, that mm-hmm. financial wreckage thing. You know, I finally cleaned it up, and now I want to make more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jimmy? You got anything to add? Um, the only question. thing I would really add to that question is that that early recovery is definitely different than later and long-term recovery. And I, I compare it to, like, you know, going back and getting a master's degree. You're going to be in, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time that first year or so in classes and doing homework and doing all that stuff but isn't that isn't what you're going to be doing the rest of your life meetings and step work meetings and step work do not just recovery make wait is that right recovery is more than just meetings and step work. <laughs> there you go meetings and step work are the foundation i and, like that shakespearean yeah. approach <laughs> <laughs> meetings and step work are the foundation but you know what recovery is is fellowship and fun with other people in sobriety and uh, relationships and we go on retreats and we do all kinds of amazing things and you know my life is not two and three meetings a day anymore right you know it was for Mm -hmm. you know six eight nine months a year but now it's like you said i go to two three four meetings a week well three is my minimum i try to make four but I have a rich and full life. I have a career. I have a husband. I have animals. We travel. We go to vacations. So I think that, that when people come into the rooms and they think, oh, my God, I'm going to – they hear go to, you know, 90 meetings in 90 days. Right. Or they hear – they're <laughs> no, like, oh, my I God. Yes. I'm going to have to do this forever. No, you're not. You're going to have to do this for a period of time till your mm-hmm. brain starts to level out. Mm-hmm. And then you can – make it how you need to make it like i said it's like going back to school i went back to school to learn how to live and it took me 18 months to two years of meetings and step work and all that stuff to really get a solid foundation and then i I can ease up on some of that stuff and and add other other tools of recovery which i use a lot of you get back into the mainstream of life right yeah you know meditation yoga all kinds of other wonderful things seeking other ways to grow seeking other ways to grow and for me developing spiritually whatever that means yeah wonderful distinction to put on that though i love that you're you're talking about how in those early days of recovery that first year or two that's where you're you're doing grunt work. Mm-hmm. That's where you're. Yeah. you're That's your work. graduate program. It's your boot camp, so to speak, or graduate That's your program. Graduate yes. degree in how to live yes. sober. And then you've got the tools. You've got experience using the tools. Now you use the tools to do other work, mm-hmm. and it comes much more second nature. Right. As we get used to doing it, it becomes.
becomes ingrained. Once your brain gets washed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that takes some time. My brain needed washing. Mine did too. My first sponsor said at one point, why don't you just like, let's just take three months and just focus on AA and the steps and then we'll reevaluate how your life is after that. And I was going, that sounds like a good idea because I was, I had that's some willingness. All this writing and different things that I wanted to talk to him about what my idea of my higher power was and all of that. And he said, let's just, let's just focus on the 12 steps and AA for three months and then we'll reevaluate all that. Okay. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. What happened after three months? I quit fighting that. And after three months, I had an entirely different understanding of what AA was all about and about my spirituality and about all of it. Mm -hmm. Also, I had been clean and sober for three whole months. Mm -hmm. I, I felt better. Mm -hmm. I was uh, laughing. I was starting to sing in the shower, something that I had <laughs> not done. And I, I, I can really belt it out. Oh. You can. So once you start singing in the shower, you're you're you're, you're you're really on your road to recovery. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh Lord! Uh -huh. Very nice. We're talking about freedom. Oh, where's that pesky owl? He's never. Hey, owl! <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback or ask a question on the blog or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Elephants, 11 benevolent elephants. Malevolent or benevolent? Both. <laughs> 11 benevolent elephants, that one's easier actually. <laughs> 11 benevolent elephants, that one's much easier. All right. Around the rugged rock, the ragged rascal ran. <laughs> he did? Mm -hmm. To be among Culligan and Calla Lilies. Did he turn to butter? Mm-hmm.